Buying tickets to concerts and sporting events can be complicated and confusing. Sometimes the sporting events can be complicated and confusing. We're about to talk about that. But there is a better, simpler way to buy with SeatGeek. With their seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person. And SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And SeatGeek also has plenty of concert, comedy, and theater tickets available. Best of all, Ringer MLB Show listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the SeatGeek app. Go to the settings tab and click add a promo code, then enter the promo code RINGERMLB. That's all one word. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. So download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code RINGERMLB today. Hello and welcome to the Ringer MLB Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. My name is Ben Lindbergh. I'm a writer for TheRinger.com. And on the other line, opting into this podcast, it is my fellow staff writer for The Ringer, Michael Bauman. Hello, Michael. I've, I don't know what we're going to talk about. I've purged all of my baseball memory to, to save Ram during the offseason. So unless you want to talk about the Knicks, then, uh, you know, what do you think about Frank Nilakina? You know, I I heard of Frank recently because I was in a car with people who were discussing his merits, and that was the first time. So I could regurgitate that discussion, but I won't inflict that on anyone. We do have some baseball to talk about. This is our that was a good pivot. First... My favorite, like I, I'm going to do this all off season because my favorite thing is it's making you talk about non baseball athletes <laughs> and try to segue back into baseball. <laughs> See how quickly you can pivot. That pivot, by the way, not unlike good. Frank Nilakina. Oh, nice. Well done. So this is our first real podcast proper of the offseason. Last time we talked mostly about the World Series and the World Series winners. Today, we have the freedom to talk about any player and any team for the first time in a month or so, which is probably welcome to fans of teams that have been eliminated and in their offseasons for more than a month now. It's Always a little jarring, as I think we may have mentioned in the most recent episode, to go from World Series and Game 7 and the highest stakes to talking about qualifying offers and opt-ins and opt-outs. It's sort of a letdown, but I do enjoy the offseason. Obviously, individual moves with the possible exception of, say, the best free agent available signing with a certain team. Almost all of the moves don't have the sort of impact that, you know, a run scoring hit in World Series Game 7 has as far as determining the outcome of the season. I disagree, because what if you acquire the guy who gets the run scoring hit in Game 7 of the World Series? Well, it's possible. It's possible, but you can't know that in advance. So... I think in a in a looking forward to the future standpoint, it's not as momentous, but I do enjoy the offseason discussion because of the strategy mm-hmm. and how you can sort of, you know, figure out from what teams do, what their strategies are, what the league is paying for certain skills. Every year we get a few sort of precedent setting free agent deals where we get a sense of, OK, that's what the market is this winter. That's what teams are paying for a win. Here's the skills they value. Here are the skills they don't value. So that sort of stuff kind of inferring from each move what it means for the market and how teams operate today is fascinating. So it's not quite the same, but there's a lot of intrigue here. And to add to that, I'll say years ago for baseball prospectus, I I think I actually stole this point from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. But what makes uh, baseball interesting is that as time goes forward, possibilities are eliminated. So like in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, you start with an infinite number of possibilities for how a game or a season can can take shape. And as you, you, you know, as the days progress, you eliminate pro- possibilities. So now, you know, we are a week after the World Series. Anything can happen. Well, not like almost anything can happen. So, you know, this is a fun time to sort of let your imagination roam free and also say like you know all this stuff was going on during the playoffs it's it's not exciting but it is still important so you know it's a little frustrating not to be able to to go back and at the the moment that uh the red sox were looking for a manager for instance talk about uh their potential candidates so you know it's definitely worth even though some of this stuff is a few days old to to go back and and discuss this in at least a little bit of depth 
Yeah, so you've come up with a little list here of news that is broken so far. I think maybe our next time we'll do sort of a big picture. Here's how the market stacks up this winter. What is the free agent market like? What are some of the big trade candidates or possibilities and also just sort of which teams are are most in the market for moves because this is sort of a, a strange offseason with this sort of stratified structure that we have in MLB now where you have a handful of really great teams and and some lousy teams and not a whole lot in the middle and as we probably referenced it's pretty easy to look at this year's playoff field and say well that's going to be next year's playoff field too although obviously it almost never works out exactly like that so we'll do some big pictures stuff next time. But today, let's just focus on some individual moves. So you want to start with the managerial moves, the news of some of which leaked out and dribbled out during the playoffs and World Series. But if uh, people weren't paying attention, do you want to catch everyone up on managers who have been hired and I guess notable vacancies that remain or, or vacancy really? Yeah. So let's I guess let's start with Alex Cora. That's the I mean, the probably the biggest managerial vacancy that's been been filled. Uh, the Red Sox have hired Astros bench coach Alex Cora to be their new manager. I think this is, you know, it's interesting that I don't know if this is happening more this year or if it's just the first time I'm thinking of it this way. But in like college football, for instance, you hire if you're a team that needs a new head coach, you hire a good team's coordinators. And this seems to be mm. sort of what's what's going on. So Cora was the bench coach for the Astros. He's obviously got a ring. I saw him at the parade on Friday and, you know, he seemed really happy and, and hadn't you know moved on to the Red Sox yet. You know, that's a I think to a certain extent that team sort of underachieved last year, at least offensively. So there's a lot of upside and I say that about a team that won the division and was you know, perfectly capable of making a run in the playoffs. So, you know, on one hand, Boston is I, Boston is not an easy place to to manage. I think there are a few cities where where the the fan and media intensity actually is a lo- like a notch above uh, the way the way it is in other places. And Boston's one of them. Uh, but on the other hand, I don't know that there's a manager who's going to be stepping into a better you know, a, a better, uh, better environment to win. You know, the Red Sox are set up pretty well. They've got, they're a good team. They've got, you know, a young core. So, and one thing that I guess the one misgiving that I have again uh, about Alex core is he's relatively inexperienced because he comes from TV and he only had the one year as the Astros bench coach, but the Red Sox seem to want to uh, he- sort of head this off and have him hire an experienced bench coach. So he hired former Brewers manager, Ron Renneke to, to be his bench coach so that I guess, you know, he can lean on Renneke for, for experience uh, if that's an area where he's lacking. And another thing I like about this, you know, he's, uh, uh, he's Puerto Rican, you know, it's nice to not see just, a, you know, if you're going to keep hiring college educated catchers and, and middle infielders, then, you know, maybe mm-hmm. hire a Latino college educated catcher, or middle infielder and in the every mm-hmm. so often and the Red Sox seem to have done that. So, uh, right. you know, I, this is, I guess, no first time manager is guaranteed, but he seems like as good a first time manager as any. Yeah, obviously there's been a big disconnect between the percentage of players who are Latino and the percentage of managers who are. And so we're seeing Cora hired with the Red Sox, Dave Martinez going to the Nats. So at least this won't be an offseason where minority managerial candidates are shut out, which unfortunately is often the case. Mm And I think, yeah, there's there's really a, a kind of a common element to a lot of these managerial hirings. Maybe there's one that stands out as yeah. not quite being like the others. Ron Gardenhire going to the Tigers. We can talk about that. But I think the others that we wanted to fold in here, Cora going to the Red Sox, Mickey Calloway, Indians pitching coach, going to the Mets as their manager, Gabe Kapler going to the Phillies, and Dave Martinez to the Nats. I think... All of these guys belong to a breed of managers that I'm not going to say it's a a completely new thing, but this seems like a a trend to me. Four seems like a trend. I mean, first of all, as you mentioned, teams are recruiting from the successful and progressive and forward thinking teams in the league right now. So Callaway's going from Cleveland and you mentioned Cora, the Dodgers and Kapler, of course, was the Dodgers farm director for a while, in addition to being with the Rays and the Red Sox before that. And Dave Martinez with the Rays and the Cubs as a bench coach. So 
Obviously, teams want managers who are familiar with analytics and stats and are receptive to that sort of information. And so they're pulling their managers from teams that have been known for using that and integrating it into their kind of managerial and and coaching process. So that's one thing. But I think this is something of a a sea change. I mean, managerial hiring, it's always cyclical. Teams are hiring one sort of guy, then they go hire another sort of guy. But right now, I think this is a a little bit different from what we've seen in recent years, which we saw a whole wave of guys hired who had zero managerial experience. Like they were recently retired players, maybe had been with the organization before. You know, I'm talking about Matheny and and Osmus and Weiss and and people like that who just kind of came out of nowhere. They weren't out of the game for long. Maybe teams figured that relate to the players well, they're close to the same age and they'll be malleable. They're not set in their ways. We can kind of hire them without paying too much because they don't have long managerial track records and then we can mold them as we see fit and they won't have a way of doing things. We can tell them what that way should be and we can kind of erode the traditional authority of the manager, which is that The manager has say over, I mean, almost anything, almost everything at at various times in baseball history. But even in recent years, certainly the lineup and which players to use and in-game tactics and front offices are trying to take control of that. So they went with this wave of just inexperienced people who hadn't managed, in many cases, hadn't even coached. And the returns on those guys were not always great. I mean, Matheny is still in St. Louis, but has never been regarded as, I I would say, certainly by anyone outside St. Louis as either a great leader or a great tactician. Yeah, I think think the Cardinals' success under Mike Matheny is a testament to how well that organization is run otherwise, that, like, you know, nobody needs to drive the ship. And we know this because nobody's been driving the ship since Tony La Russa retired. So, and they've, they've still been, you know, fine for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And, you know, Osmus is gone and Weiss is gone and it took Bud Black to come in and get the Rockies to the playoffs. So I think that model of manager, I don't want to say has been completely debunked as a, a worthwhile model, but you know, there's risk, as you're saying, when there's less experience, there's just more of an unknown. You don't know how the guy will respond and there are going to be some growing pains, which is not necessarily something that a winning team that wants to be in the playoffs and win a World Series right away is going to want to put up with. So I think what we're seeing here is this transition back to guys with at least some managerial or coaching experience. I mean, Kapler, I guess, is the only one of these guys who has any manager experience. Kapler managed for one year in the minors. That's that's it. But all these guys have been around teams, have been bench coaches, pitching coaches. They've been around experienced managers. They've kind of learned at their knees. So they're all somewhat seasoned. I mean, still young guys and still maybe not close minded, but they've been around. They've been around successful organizations. And that's really all you can do if you're a team. You want to mold your own you know, Terry Francona or Joe Madden or whoever is considered the, you know, good, smart, progressive thinking manager. I don't know if Madden even qualifies at this point after some of the moves he's made, but I think teams want to build their own guy like that rather than recycling if possible. And all of these newly hired managers have been mentioned as as candidates to become that type of guy. So yeah. I think that you can see why teams are are picking this sort of candidate. And I think that you can this this crop of managers is sort of a, a blow to the inexperienced, like the Robin Ventura types. He's, there's another name that didn't work out all that well that that we didn't mention before, uh, because you know, Cora Kapler and uh, and Callaway are all 42 years old, and you can have an extensive playing career and you know be an assistant coach or a minor league manager and still be relatively young. And I think that it's the I'm going to wade into waters that I yelled about last week, but (laughs) that it's, it's confidence. I think in the, in the ideas of, of front offices that they're hiring, not just people who will take orders, but like intellectual partners in all like, you know, for good or ill, you don't hire Gabe Kapler if you don't want pushback, like if you don't want your manager to have, have ideas. So, you know, that that's the sort of, I think it's just these guys, a lot of these guys are, are sort of, coming up they don't 
know any different as as coaches you know like Alex Cora coached under AJ Hinch who's a, a front office guy and you know who's who else is he gonna learn from it's not like uh you know he coached under La Russa or something like that because La Russa's already been gone for a while um and the, the other thing is you know the the experience is important and I think you, you talked about going out and and uh hiring the next Joe uh Joe Madden like I think that's what the I was curious who the Nationals were going to get who's better than Dusty Baker. And I don't know that Dave Martinez is going to be better than Dusty Baker. But like Mm -hmm. that's if you just want to get that whole sort of race coaching staff, you know, they hired Jim Hickey as their their pitching coach, for instance. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Dave Martinez was to Joe Madden what Joe Madden was to Mike Sosha for for a long time. And so, you know, it's if that's as close as you can get to Madden without actually getting Madden, that seems like. Uh, you know, it seems like a good idea. So, you know, those three those three hires, no guarantee of success, but I see no reason why they wouldn't be successful, I guess, apart from, you know, Mickey Calloway having to deal with the dark, dark cloud of doom that hangs over the <laughs> right. Mets. Yeah, um, I mean, in theory, getting a pitching coach to tend to the team that is almost entirely dependent on its pitching makes sense. I, I mean, wonder about that, though, I, right. like how much uh, I guess just sort there's so much downtime. In a major league, uh, major league dugout, and major league clubhouse, that like he's gonna wind up interacting with like Syndergaard and, and Degrom and Steven Matz if Steven Matz is ever healthy enough to get into a major league clubhouse next year, uh, he's gonna wind up interacting with those guys just sort of by chance. And so much a you know, so much of of learning pitching is repetition. But you also hear all these stories about oh, it was just one conversation that really flipped a switch for me. So mm-hmm. he's gonna have plenty of plenty of opportunity to. You know, I guess flip those guys switches, but you know, you don't hire him as a manager if you want him to be your pitching coach, I guess is is my point. And, you know, these are two very, very different jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. We don't know. I mean, we've talked about the Callaway hiring on on a previous yeah, episode. Yeah. Obviously, the Mets have potential to be really good again of the teams that missed the playoffs this year. I think you'd have to put them toward the top of the list of teams we didn't that do our draft have a shot to, yeah, to, to make it next year. But obviously, it's it's dependent on those guys. And not that Callaway can come in and just fix every pitcher. But I think there were just some instances where Terry Collins just seemed completely blind mm-hmm. to the risk of starting certain guys or using certain guys in certain ways. And so I wonder whether Callaway will at least be more sensitive to that. Anyway, I know you have some things to say about Kapler. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah. I think that's the only controversial hire. And I think some of mm-hmm. that is the, you know, the um, allegations of discrimination against Dick Francona when he was in LA. And I don't know mm-hmm. how much of, you know, how much of that is, uh, I would say it's worrisome, but like not a smoking gun. Like there's nothing there. There's nothing um, that really disqualifies Kapler from being a manager because his dis, you know, his background is not that dissimilar to somebody like AJ Hinch, who I think is one of the best managers in baseball. You know, you want a, an intellectually curious manager. He seems to who's got a player development background for that young team. I just, you know. My favorite reaction to this was uh, a friend of mine, Spike Eskin, who uh, uh, works in sports radio in Philadelphia and does the mm-hmm. rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast because he'd, he'd yell at me for not saying the name. Mm-hmm. Um, he after covering Sam Hankey and covering Chip Kelly, he saw, you know, read about Gabe Kapler and immediately tweeted, oh, my God, we got another one of these guys. And that's like the the Chip Kelly precedent is what worries me a little bit that. Kapler might come in with a lot of with a big head of steam and a lot of ideas. And, you know, you've, uh, you know, uh, done done podcasts with him before. You know how mm-hmm. energetic he is. Like, yes, I, you know, personally, I wouldn't want to work for a guy who's that on all the time. But I also yeah. realized that I am not wired the same way as most major league athletes. Like, I think mm-hmm. Joe Madden is a lot and Joe Madden <laughs> has had no shortage of success. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just worry that that he might be divisive or might be polarizing. And, you know, not that this is a, a good reason to, to hire a manager, but Dusty Wathen, who is the uh, one of the Phillies minor league managers, is very popular among that J.P. Crawford, Reese Hoskins uh, group of young up and coming players who are going to be the Phillies core. So he's got to he's got to make sure that everybody's on the same page. And, I, you know, I don't think he's incapable of it. I don't think that. um you know, I don't think the Phillies necessarily made a bad hire. There's, you know, I, I just want to see that, you know, see 
pragmatism and flexibility because you've seen, you know, particularly in Philadelphia and other sports, we've seen smart guys with a lot of ideas come in and crash and burn because, Mm -hmm. you know, they're just because of a failure to adapt to, to, um, you know, the circumstances that actually present them or, you know, failure to, in Chip Kelly's case, understand the difference between the college football game and the pro football game Mm -hmm. uh, in terms, in terms of player management. And that's just, you know, I want to see how Gabe Kapler, uh, handles a major league clubhouse and it's a young yeah. major league clubhouse and you know maybe maybe everything works out fine but that is the one managerial hire that I, I do have questions about yeah and it's the only one of these I think that has prompted articles about was this the right move could this backfire or you know mm-hmm. challenging questions in the press conference I think John Heyman wrote an article at FanRag about how opinions are divided on this hiring and yeah, as you mentioned, I, I worked with Gabe a little bit. I edited him when he wrote briefly for Baseball Prospectus before he did TV and went to the Dodgers. And I wouldn't say that that gave me any special insight into how he will do as a manager. But it's true that he is very high energy and you know always wants to maximize how well everything is being done. And I think that kind of person maybe could be very dependent on the specific group of players that he gets to manage and maybe one group responds very well to that maybe another group doesn't yeah, and maybe it works like yeah, you maybe know it, it depends on how the team is doing how that sort of attitude is received and i mean in theory a guy who was just running the dodgers farm system which has obviously produced a, a lot of young talented players that's the kind of guy you would want taking over the Phillies who are trying to develop young players into major league talents and mm-hmm. doing that at the major league level often. And have and a lot of guys who get to the major league level with development left to, right. you know, they, you know, they don't come out of the water fully formed. You yeah. Know, that's, yeah. They've still got some work left to do. Right. But one, one last thing about this. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think this is the most important point is I think a lot of, a lot of people in sort of our side of the baseball internet we're really into in the Gabe Kapler hiring because we know him because uh-huh. like we know he's a, a stat head yeah and I just like that's not important mm-hmm. honestly like it in this day and age like the state of of intellectual curiosity in baseball right now like this is not 2002 like we've we've really got to stop thinking about uh managerial hirings and front office hirings like you know like this is Oh three Dusty Baker, or this mm-hmm. is you know Mike Socha in two thousand nine, or you know whoever else the the anti saber metric you know back when that that was even a battle. Like everybody has got to do this. Like that is not it's not a plus anymore. You know, mm-hmm. un, reading baseball prospectus is not uh, a good enough qualification to get the job. You, you know, you've got to be able to manage a clubhouse. You've got like that is. If anything, like I think that the the past several years have borne out that that's just as important, if not more so than like knowing when to bunt. Honestly, I'd rather have a manager who gets the most out of his players and bunts too much or leaves his starting pitcher in too long than the opposite. You know, it, if you're looking at somebody, you know, Manny Active, for instance, is a, yep. a guy who underperformed wildly as a manager. And he's, you know, he talked about you know, uh, not bunning. And, you know, in one interview in 2010 or whenever it was, and he just got, you know, all of us over to his his side forever. Like, there's a reason he hasn't got a third job after crashing and burning in Cleveland and Washington. Mm -hmm. So it's it's that rant I've been going on for the past six months or so. Like, we got to stop thinking like it's 2007, you Mm -hmm. know, that like this is not just just because he understands what win probability is or something like that. Or, you know, because he's not terrified of numbers doesn't necessarily mean he's he's got to be or he's going to be a good manager nowadays. It doesn't mean he won't. But like you have to do that anyway, no matter what, like they wouldn't hire him if they didn't think he could do that. You know, the Mets wouldn't have hired Callaway. The the Nationals wouldn't have hired Martinez if they didn't think they wouldn't be able to to do all that stuff. And now you've got to do all that stuff on top of it. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's I would just caution everybody just because not everybody in a front office or coaching job who ever name checks fan graphs is going to be, you know, the next Casey Stengel. Right. Yes. No, that is an important point. And the one person who was hired, we know probably will not name check Fangrass is Ron Gardner. He might shock you. He might. (laughs) I think he said something in his introductory press conference about, you know, I'm old school or you'll have to dumb down the stats questions for me or something like that. But 
I think, you know, this is out of step with the other hirings in that Garden Hire is 59. He's been around the block, professionally speaking, oh for a God, while. Is he only 59? I know. I would have definitely said older <laughs> before I looked that up. But but yes. And, you know, obviously, he's the only one of these I'm guys. I'm looking it with, up anyway. Like, I'm convinced <laughs> you, should you added check wrong. that. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, he, he has. Oh, he just turned 60. Oh, okay. He turned 60 right. like two weeks ago. Well, that changes but, everything. Okay. Holy crap. 59 when he was hired. So, yeah, I think that. You know, he has managed before. He is not necessarily the guy who's going to come into the interview spouting new age stats. And I guess in the Tigers case, I'm just not sure it matters all that much what they do right now. I I think probably whoever was hired as the Tigers manager in 2017 is not going to be the Tigers manager when they're good again, which could be potentially a long time not to depress Detroit fans too much. But I mean, they're heading into a tunnel right now and it's not clear Mm -hmm. when they're going to get out of it. So I think they're in a really rough spot and Garden Hire's luster as a managerial candidate had probably faded somewhat. So I'm sure he was just happy to take another managerial position. There are only 30 available in any given Mm -hmm. year. And I don't know why he was specifically their their first choice, but obviously he has had success in the past, although not recently. And this is going to be a role that's going to be requiring mentoring and just sort of a a steady hand more so than a guy who's going to get you from the playoffs to the World Series. So he is a steady hand, if nothing else. And I I think that's that's really the the reasoning is like they know they're going to be bad. They just need somebody to make sure everybody behaves until, you know, the the next crop of prospects gets up there. And if you know, I've got no problem with it, because if we're going to throw a manager into the volcano over the Tigers winning, you know, winning 65 games a year for the next three or four years. I'd rather be garden higher than like have something like what happened to Bo Porter, where he just slowly lost his mind losing in Houston was a really promising young managerial candidate and just hasn't gotten another shot because that went so badly. So, you know, if, if somebody's going to have to wear the next couple seasons, I'd just assume it'd be a, an experienced candidate rather than a young guy who might not get another chance. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. Well, let's transition to actual player transactions. So where do you want to go from here? We've got a a few options. We've got Otani, we've got Upton, we've got some opt-ins and then a a few other things we want to touch on at the end. Um, Well, let's do Otani first. I think that's the next most interesting Mm -hmm. thing. Yes. (laughs) I think it's the most interesting thing of anything that could possibly happen this winter. But we wanted to lead off with, you know, right with like actual major league news. And then we can get into the the marginalia. Well, I mean, Otani isn't, you know, isn't marginalia, but we, you know, we know that. But yeah. Anyway, let's get to <laughs> yes. Let's get to Otani. Right. It's it's not clear that Otani is going to be a major league player, although he will be major league news one way or another. So the latest report from Joel Sherman of the New York Post concerning Shohei Otani, which of course the best player in Japan, best pitcher in Japan, best hitter in Japan, also last year at least had some injury issues, missed some time this year, but. Obviously, the most intriguing player in maybe all of professional sports, but certainly in baseball, everyone's wondering, is he going to come over? That's a very doesn't watch basketball, by the way. (laughs) Could be. Sorry. Apologies to Frank if I just (laughs) slighted you there. So, or maybe Giannis. Am I supposed to say something about Giannis? That's a name I've heard. So, wow, that's yeah. See, I, I know things. See, this is why I love this so much. Is you shock me sometimes. Deshaun Watson. I've heard of him. Yeah, he just Bad blew out his knee last week. That's that why was, I've heard of him. That was rough. Yes. We right. found out Sorry, we were, I was on a, an NFL planning call on uh, <laughs> on Thursday while that news broke after like 13 Deshaun Watson stories got pitched. <laughs> right. and, like, I've never heard so many sad people on the phone at, at one time. Yes. Emotional whiplash for the Houston sports fan that week. So I think we have to talk about Atani. Obviously, we are... Interested in what he will do. Interested is too weak a word to see what he'll do in the majors. And so selfishly, we want him to be in the majors as soon as possible. Financially speaking, that may not be in his best interest because of the new extremely strict and team friendly and player unfriendly rules and international spending limits that have been imposed by the new CBA. Otani is in line to make much, much, much less than he is worth. He would be getting hundreds of millions of dollars, most likely, if he were a free agent, as it is. He's looking at a maximum payout of 
five million, something in that range. And so, it won't be that because almost every team is has committed a large chunk of their international right. bonus pool to other players. Yeah. So, so like we're talking about probably a six, a high six figure signing bonus once everything mm-hmm. uh, settles down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now it becomes well is he so eager to get to the majors that he will pass up the possibility of making much more money a year down the line when he is 25 and those international spending rules no longer apply to him and from everything we've heard it sounds like he wants to come over and like his team the Nippon Hemp Fighters are willing to send him over but there is a hang-up as reported by Joel Sherman Really, it's it's kind of a complicated issue in that the posting agreement between MLB and NPB has expired this year. And so in the past, it was teams in MLB could bid whatever they wanted for a Japanese player when he was posted by his team. And it would just be the highest bidder gets to negotiate with him and no one else does. Then the system changed to every team that is interested in the player can post $20 million or bid $20 million. And then they all get to negotiate with the player That agreement expired recently, but MLB is willing to kind of grandfather Otani in under that old agreement reportedly so that teams, anyone who wants him, which, you know, any team would be willing to pay $20 million for Shohei Otani. So every team would at least be interested in talking to him for that amount. But it sounds like from Sherman's report, the MLB Players Association is not happy with this and needs to give approval to this, which is something that is stipulated by the CBA when you have a contract with a player from another country. And the MLBPA is putting up something of a fight here, showing some resistance because, to quote Sherman, they are concerned about the precedent and fairness of the player receiving, say, $300,000 and his former team $20 million. And I'll just clear the floor for you right here because I think you have a well-justified rant here about how if the Players Association didn't like this system, they shouldn't have allowed themselves to be negotiated into it. Yeah, that's uh, wow. You know, it's uh, shocking that they are now a year after they negotiated the new CBA that explicitly uh you know, created this system for players like Otani, which within, oh, I don't know, about 12 hours of the the broad details of the CBA leaking, everybody was like, right. wait, doesn't this completely screw Shohei Otani exactly. in particular? Right. You know, this just, I, I just imagine, <sighs> I'm going to make a, a comparison that I want everybody to know is like, is not based on, Tony Clark's appearance at all, but you know how in Return of the Jedi where Jabba the Hutt's sleeping and somebody wakes him up and he goes, whoa, oh, oh, oh. and oh, yes. yeah, and uh, that's how I imagine Tony Clark operating at the the helm of, this, of the <laughs> Players Association yes. because like he's the last person to figure everything like this out and he always figures yes. it out like... I don't know, somewhere between three weeks and in this case, uh, 11 months after it's too late to do anything about it. Like, yeah, that is concerning that uh, a Japanese, frankly, it's concerning that a Japanese team can only get $20 million for Shohei Otani, right. uh, but that they can get $20 million while Otani himself is only getting 300000 you know. Yeah, like that's what you get for completely screwing every single baseball player on the planet who isn't a member of the MLBPA mm-hmm. right now yep. when you're negotiating, you know, like and Otani's going to be fine. Like he's not we're not even talking about, uh, you know, the kids coming out of the Dominican Republic in Colombia who are have no guarantee of future earning potential, who don't have you know, five years of, of earning a professional salary behind mm-hmm. him. Like, you know, Otani's not going to be poor by any stretch of the imagination, but he's not going to get paid anywhere near what he's worth. He's not going to get paid five percent of what he's worth as a, a player. So, like, it's great. It's great that they're concerned about this right now. <laughs> yeah. It would have been more useful if they were concerned about this 12 months ago. Yeah, I think if anything, you're you're slighting Jabba in this <laughs> comparison here because uh, Jabba's he he's actually a savvy did operator. He's, like, a, he's a good businessman. Yeah. I'm not sure that Tony Clark has shown that yet. And I, I agree. I mean, this was... And I dump on Tony Clark and mm-hmm. it's just... I... <sighs> I do it out of frustration because it's never been more important for the MLBPA to have a strong union head because like, you know, to call back to another rant that I've had, Rob Manfred's a killer. He is the best 
probably the best labor negotiator who's ever been the commissioner of a major sports mm-hmm. league. And they and and the union is just not playing on his level. Yeah. Like they just have not brought the the level of resources, the level of of savvy, the level of resolve that the owners represented by Manfred have. Mm-hmm. And they're just they're getting their asses kicked. And mm-hmm. it's just frustrating as a you know, as someone who is by virtue of not being a billionaire, broadly pro labor. Like it's just really frustrating to see this happen again. And you know, it, this was an interesting story when MLB and, and MPB were renegotiating their their posting system. You know, personally, I think you know this makes me yearn for the lawful and simple days of the the international soccer posting system, where any team can play pay whatever it wants for another team, and in order to complete a transfer, the player has to agree to a contract with the new team. Like it seems like everybody walks away happy, and or everybody walks away unhappy, which is how you know it's a good negotiation uh, in that system. But instead, we're we're limiting how much money everybody can make, but the MLB owners, which I guess is in keeping with oh, 130 years of Major League Baseball tradition. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, <laughs> same as it ever was. Yeah. If, if you wanted Otani to be able to make anything like he deserves to make, then you probably should have put your foot down at some point in the most recent negotiations. So, yeah. and here's the here's the other thing is, um. If there's been a lot of talk about how Otani still got his Japanese agent doesn't have an MLBPA certified Mm -hmm. agent, any MLBPA certified agent worth, you know, worth his salt is going to go into, you know, go into Otani's living room and say, stay put for two years. Don't come over Right. right now. Like it, any any agent who lets him come over right now doesn't have his best interests in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you know, of course he could get hurt. Something could happen. But you'd think. What's he going to do? Make what can he <laughs> right, possibly really do to his body less. that's going to no. that's that's going to get him less than a three hundred thousand dollars signing bonus on the on the open market when he's twenty five. Right. Yeah. No, it's I mean, you know, selfishly, I think we all want to see him on MLB TV and be able to dig into the data more easily than we can when he's in Japan. Want to find out like it's yeah. And the other thing is like I wanted to find out just economically what is this guy worth if he's twenty two or twenty three. Yes. And yeah of course there's the question of, you know, will teams try to skirt those rules somehow? Will they come up with some way to get around this, even though MLB and will what kind uh, of retributive justice will the manhammer. Bring yes, down? right. Of course, because MLB will be looking very closely for that sort of thing. So it's a fascinating story one way or another. I don't even know whether I should say that we hope he comes over because maybe he shouldn't. I don't. <laughs> right. I mean, I want to see him, but, you know, I, I want him to be happy as well. And uh, I don't know if there's a resolution here that will lead him, will leave him not wondering what might have been if he had waited anyway. This will be yeah, a, this is very interesting. a theme of the winter. This is, this is very annoying if you're if like your focus in baseball is just on the on field stuff. Right. Yes. Um, but for people like us, this is probably going to be the most interesting story of the offseason. Yeah. One barring, way or another. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say barring a John Carlos Stan trade, but uh, there's a potential for this to be even more interesting than that, even if it happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if it does happen, if he does come over, of course, we will talk about how he'll be used and what he'll be worth and all of that. There, We will probably talk months. about nothing else <laughs> I know, until spring probably. training. All right. So let's take a quick break, hear from our sponsor, and we'll be back with a bunch more news in just a minute. Let me tell you about this amazing hotel booking app, Hotel Tonight. Basically, Hotel Tonight teams up with great hotels to help them sell their unsold rooms, which means there are always incredible deals available. These aren't last resort places. They're cool, top-rated hotels you actually want to stay in. Not to mention, with a ton of awesome partner hotels in so many different countries, Hotel Tonight can help you find a great hotel almost anywhere. Whether I want to spend the weekend away on a whim or book myself a staycation at a cool local place, Hotel Tonight is helping me be just a little more spontaneous. And you can actually even book in advance so it's not just for last minute getaways all takes is 10 seconds just three taps and a swipe so see for yourself download the hotel tonight app now Okay, so we've got a few more items we want to get to here in more of a a lightning round sort of roundup. We've got Justin Upton staying with the Angels on an extension, a one-year extension of his current contract, a fifth year added to that deal. And we've also got a bunch of pitchers opting in 
we're used to players exercising their opt-out causes. And so far this year, we haven't really seen that. Masahiro Tanaka, Johnny Cueto, and Ian Kennedy all have opted in rather than choose to become free agents. So you want to say anything about Upton, who obviously the the Angels need all the help they can get. And Upton's a, a good player. And I think this was a he had the option to opt out as well, which he will not do now because of this extension. And Mm -hmm. he was right on the border there where you couldn't really tell whether it would be wise for him to opt in or out because he was kind of making more or less what it seemed like he should be making. So this is not shocking, I don't think. And the Angels obviously need pitching more than they need anything else or they need their current pitchers to be healthy but Upton's a good player and you need some depth there so it's not just Trout and Simmons and a yawning void and and Cole Calhoun. Yeah and I mean the Angels needed him more than anybody else and Upton is is an interesting case because I think just because he came up so young and was so good when he was so young like you know he was um looking at the numbers here, a six win player when he was 23, like you would expect a guy like that to challenge for MVP awards. And, you know, he hasn't been bad. He's been good pretty much every, you know, he was a a five and a half win player this year. Mm -hmm. Um, But he's all, and, but you, because of that, you think of him as sort of being on the decline phase of his, uh, of his career. And, you know, he's a core and he's a corner outfielder who's had some ups and downs over the past couple seasons. So maybe you'd be a little apprehensive about offering him five extra years, but he's still only 30. And, you know, he had a 135 OPS last year, particularly for a team like the Angels, who has Trout, Simmons, Cole Calhoun and not a whole lot else. Like that's a perfectly reasonable contract. Essentially, what they did was add a year and about 16 million, I think, on the on the back end of his contract in exchange for him. You know, I don't think either side would have been dissatisfied with the dollar value, but I think this is just the Angels not wanting to risk losing him, which I think is a fair, um, Mm -hmm. you know, a a fair strategy for them to or fair tactical move, I guess, for for them to make just because they, you know, they need that other bat if they're going to contend. And right now, you know, they're starting to get down to that crunch that the Nationals are in with with Harper, uh, which like they need to make the the most out of the last couple of years of Mike Trout's deal. Mm hmm. Yeah, they're going to look like like yeah, they, they, they haven't won a three playoff years game of trout. With, with trout and mm-hmm. you know the clock is ticking now so yes and they're saddled with Pujols, who yeah. is making many millions of dollars while being the, the least productive player in baseball probably so yeah. it's a tough also, situation this also just looking at cots uh cots contracts it looks like it backloads upton's deal yes it does so i don't you know i don't know what long-term wide-reaching uh, implications that's going to have i don't know if that like if they're just going if this says they're just going all in over the next three seasons and just you know they're gonna let tomorrow bring what tomorrow brings if and when trout leaves like that's that's the only uh uh meaning i can glean from this but you know who knows i think you know i think upton's a good player he fills the need uh you know insofar as the angels have need at every position except shortstop and center field and uh i think this will this will leave both sides happy Mm-hmm. I agree. And the Angels are kind of in an almost Mets-like position where they have a bunch of pitchers who have been injured or recently returned from injuries, some talented guys, but it's just hard to know if you can count on Garrett Richards any year or a few um, other guys. And so I'm going to run up and try to kick that Garrett Richards football again <laughs> yeah, for no, the, it's, what, it's, the seventh year in a row. He has such seductive stuff, it's, it's but one thing I, can't stay One healthy. thing I've never learned is I cannot keep myself from falling for Garrett Richards and it happens over the same thing happens over and over again and I just never learn so I'm just making that my thing yeah all right so the pitchers who opted in here obviously they're all coming off rough years or at least rough regular seasons and with Tanaka at least there's some concern about his elbow which was never surgically repaired and he's managed to pitch through it but there's a little more risk with him perhaps than there would be with the typical pitcher so Cueto and Kennedy I mean Kennedy's deal when he signed with the Royals that contract was roundly criticized I think and it didn't look so bad at first but all these guys are just coming off down years they just had poor timing as far as having bad seasons and and sequencing their seasons so that they would be ending on a high note before they had the decision to potentially enter the market and so they've all decided not to they will be staying put Cueto with the Giants Kennedy with the Royals Tanaka with the Yankees 
Yeah, Tanaka's, I think, Tanaka's the most interesting one mm-hmm. because he had pitched, like, the, his season-long numbers look bad because he started out so poorly, but by the end of the season, but particularly in the playoffs, where he was just phenomenal. He was one of the best pitchers this postseason, and he's still relatively young. You know, he could have made absolute bank in a not that competitive free agent pitching market, but this, just a clear message just sends to me is his people are worried about what his elbow might look like if, mm-hmm. if he takes a physical, even for uh, if he takes a physical with a team other than the Orioles who just fail everybody. Yeah, uh, it's uh, this. This seems and, you know, like you said, we've we've known about this for a long time. It hasn't bothered him so far. So maybe, you know, maybe he will pitch out the rest of this contract in New York and we'll never hear another thing about it. Or maybe we're. I don't know, a couple splitters from catastrophic ligament failure. So, you know, I think this this feels like a hedge. It, it's not shocking. It's not what I thought was going to happen, though. Right, especially coming off his his postseason success. But, yeah, I mean, when he was first hurt, there were columns, you know, quick hot takes about how he has to have the surgery or he'll never be worth anything. And, you know, he's done pretty well for himself and for the Yankees despite not having the surgery and opting for rest and rehab and PRP or whatever treatment he had. And, you know, that that is a route that can work for some guys, but there is always going to be some uncertainty there, as there is with any pitcher, really, but mm-hmm. especially in his case. So all these guys, I, I think, you know, certainly Tanaka, certainly Cueto could be in line for bounce back seasons, perhaps not to their peaks, but, you know, better than than where they were this year, which I think could could help the Yankees, could help the Giants. Giants are probably a whole other podcast topic. What do they do? And Giants are they a bounce back. situation. Yeah, because yeah, right. you can live with being old and expensive if you're also good. Mm-hmm. And like we saw what happened to him this year. Right. I mean, obviously, Bumgarner's not going to fall off his dirt bike again, but mm-hmm. you know, Cueto Cueto's a little disappointing to me personally because I was a big, you know, like he was not that far off a Hall of Fame track mm-hmm. uh, through his age 30 season. And I think a lot of people don't really realize how just up until last year, his most famous moment was him just absolutely going to pieces in that wild card game in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And, you know, he's sort of a funny looking guy. Like he looks like a gimmick pitcher, but he's been, I don't know, not like best pitcher in the National League level good but close to it probably mm-hmm. that second that second tier in that generation of pitchers with in the regular season at least guys like Bob Garner and Cole Hamels like he was absolutely as good as those guys through age 30 and if he has a season age 27 then I think we we have a different uh, opinion of which direction his career's going mm-hmm. as opposed to having it at age 31 where, you know, this is a guy with a lot of innings on his arm. So maybe this is the the beginning of the end. But, you know, I think it's just as likely. You know, he's one year removed from having a five and a half win season, from getting Cy Young votes, from, you know, having a 144 ERA plus and more than 200 innings. So maybe that guy's still in there and uh, the Giants are going to wind up getting a bargain but Mm -hmm. who knows you know this is this is about the you know the make or break time for a pitcher like Cueto yeah and speaking of teams in scary situations I think the Royals have even less bounce back potential or improvement potential than the Giants do so scary when you know what's going to (laughs) happen to you there's almost a certainty there so I, I think yeah you know Kennedy opting in I'm sure they would have preferred that he not do that, given where they are right now. But it makes sense from his perspective. So we want to wrap up with a a look at a couple more moves. We'll start with the Dodgers, who declined Andre Ethier's $17.5 million option for 2018. I think that is not a, a total shock, given the talent that they had and his somewhat diminished production. But it's still the end of an era. So we wanted mm-hmm. to mention this. I mean, Ethier, I think he is or was the player with the eighth longest active tenure with one team. Actually, Ryan Howard doesn't count anymore. So that would now be... Eh, I think he might have been sixth now, right? There's David Wright with the Mets, you know, to the extent that Wright is active, David which, Wright is an active, you know, yeah. at this point, unfortunately, is not so much the case. And then you've got Joe Maurer with the Twins, Pedroia with the Red Sox, Zimmerman with the Nationals, 
Yadier Molina with the Cardinals. And then I think right after that, it was Ether. And, you know, it's it's incredible, really, that he lasted as long as he did. I don't know if there's ever been a player or certainly in recent years who was rumored to be traded as often as Andre Ether and yet still ended up as his team's longest tenured player by far. He's been with the Dodgers since his rookie season in 2006. That's a 12-year career. And obviously, he's been a very good player. But in recent years, he's been marginalized somewhat and has not been quite as productive. And there's been more of a logjam in the outfield in L.A. And so, it, you know, it's not surprising that they're probably parting ways here. But when you last that long with one team, despite all evidence to the contrary that you will continue to be a member of that team, it's still worth a, a salute. Yeah. I think the the other guys on that list uh, give you an impression of the kind of player Ethier is right now as good as, you know, they were very good 10 years ago and now they're just sort right. of hanging on to, to run out their contract. I think that this is uh, a little, you know, a little sad because he's the, apart from Kershaw, he's the last link to that great group of, of players that the Dodgers brought up all at once. Mm. You think of Russell Martin and Matt Kemp yeah. and Ether and, you know, back when we thought James Loney was going to be a thing, mm-hmm. uh, Chad Billingsley, like they, they had a, a really good, really fun team that came up together and, and sort of the, uh, brought in Manny Ramirez, went to back to back, uh, NLCS appearances in 08 and 09. And, you know, that, that really looked like the beginning of something. And eventually it did turn into to something just a long, long time down the road after uh, all those guys had, had come and gone. So it's, uh, you know, it's, this is, it really does feel like the end of, of an era because apart from Kershaw, who sort of stands on his own, Ether was the last link to, to that era of Dodgers baseball, which, you know, it's, because of how it's evolved doesn't seem that long ago, but you know, we're looking back 2008 was 10 years ago now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we just want to mention while we're on the subject of the Dodgers, the Yasmani Grandal trade rumors are already starting and you can see why in that he was displaced this season by Austin Barnes, who is a, a young, talented player as skilled a receiver statistically as Grandal is. And that's been Grandal's. He looked he looked real bad in the last couple of games of the World Series. Yeah, though. I mean not. To, yeah, no, I mean not. Grandal's been you know just going by the stats. If you put stock in the framing stats, which I do, he's been one of the most valuable players in the National League over the past few years because he was really the best framing catcher in addition to being a very good hitter for a catcher. And the hitting part at least dropped off dramatically this year. And you know the Dodgers removed him and, and stuck a rookie in right in the middle of a World Series run. So obviously they thought there was something to that more than Mm. just a a luck fluctuation or something like that. If you look at just how hard he was hitting the ball and the underlying stats, he just was not as effective there, but he's not old and he has a, a long track record of being a very good catcher. He still seems to have his defensive skills more or less intact. The, the combination of Grandal and Barnes this year was extremely productive defensively for the Dodgers. So there's going to be a market for him. Obviously, I, I'm sure he's not going to want to be the backup to a young mm-hmm. kid. And he's probably worth more to another team that could use him as a starter than he is to the Dodgers as a backup. So I'm sure that we're going to see a lot of speculation and perhaps there will be fire where where there's some smoke. And, you know, you could certainly look at a team like the Nationals, for instance, and say they'd be a lot better with Grandal behind the plate. Yeah, I think. This is going to be a situation uh, a lot like two other veteran catchers who uh, who moved last year that I like a lot, Jonathan Lucroy and and Weeders. Uh, you know, I guess that doesn't really, you know, I'm going to say some team's going to get a bargain on Grandall, but saying those two names probably doesn't make it think that I or make it look like I think that. But you know, I think Grandall is he's a good. He's a good hitter behind the plate. Um, even, you know, he was a league average hitter last year, no matter how much he, he dropped off in the second half. He's a switch hitter. He's got power and he's a great receiver. And, you know, until all of those things complete, he's got a long way to slide before he's not an average to above average uh, all around catcher. And I think the Dodgers at this point, you know, even the Dodgers can look at his salary and think, you know, we can spend that money better elsewhere if we've got Barnes. So if they've got faith in Barnes, they don't need Grandal. Grandal's always sort of been a polarizing figure in statistical circles just because so much of his, his values wrapped up in his 
in his framing. Um, but, you know, I'm interested to see what the Dodgers can get. And if there's if, yeah, but at the same time, like they can keep him around if they don't get blown away. Mm-hmm. I, I would just be interested to see how committed they are to trading because mm-hmm. obviously it makes sense for them to they think they can address a need elsewhere or maybe restock the farm system a little bit then he's an obvious you know he makes more sense to trade than any of their other contributors but you know i'd be interested to see how that shakes out mm-hmm. and the last thing we wanted to acknowledge here there was another 17.5 million dollar option declined that is jose batista who will not be returning to the blue jays at least on on that deal and this is even less surprising than the ether decline but still this could be the end it's certainly it looks like the end of batista's tenure in toronto it's not clear how much interest there will be in him period but obviously he has been one of the most notable players and also one of the best players in baseball over the last decade mm-hmm. or, or so ever since he reinvented himself he's been a great story really, uh, he's been produced a precursor to the to the yes, swing plane revolution definitely one of the first Justin yeah Turner one of the trailblazers yeah. and obviously many memorable moments led by the bat flip so we will <sighs> we will miss batista if he's gone and even if he's around we'll miss the the superstar batista it's not gonna yeah it's not gonna feel the same if he's like poking out 200 plate appearances in a in an Orioles uniform yeah I don't know he's an old corner outfielder so I assume he's going to the Orioles (laughs) makes sense uh he's one of those I'm interested in players who really redirect franchises and it's not always like the best player on a championship team but Batista was was the guy who made everything else that happened in Toronto over the past couple years seem possible and you know he probably was the the face of that team even though Josh Donaldson was a better player for instance or you know, Marcus Stroman is an up and coming building blocker, Aaron Sanchez. So, yeah, it's uh, it definitely is the end of an era there. And one thing before we we end without uh, before we end without addressing this, uh, another a veteran outfielder's option didn't get picked up. Ichiro is uh, his oh, time yes. in Miami has come to an end, which releasing Ichiro feels like it should be against baseball law. It does. Yeah, I mean, Derek Jeter has made some some. Controversial moves here, but I guess we can't everybody said say it couldn't get worse than Jeffrey Loria, <laughs> and here he is cutting Ichiro. Yeah, I mean that obviously hurts from a purely baseball perspective. You you can't argue with it that much. Ichiro is really you know a part time player. He was a pinch hitter this year. He still has some use there, but it's it's a limited use, frankly. I mean, he was a, a backup outfielder to the best outfield in baseball, basically, which may not be the best outfield in baseball next year if Stanton is gone. But, you know, it was a, a limited role that really doesn't exist in the majors anymore. Aside from Itro, it was almost as if he had kind of had this role carved out for him so that we could keep him around and so he could attract some publicity to a team that desperately needs it and, and still needs it. But really... You know, just purely on a baseball level, you can't necessarily fault Jeter here. And and even the stories about him, like cutting Jeff Conine from his old role or offering a reduced role. Reportedly, Conine was actually not just a kind of an ambassador to the community, but also was sitting in on baseball operations meetings and, and planning. And it's not unusual for the new guy to bring in new people. So I think that you know, some of these moves don't reflect all that well on Jeter, but we can't actually say that they're necessarily examples of poor decision making. It's just sad, obviously, if this is the end of Itro and we know he wanted to play until he was 50 and maybe he'll find somewhere else where he can get a shot because obviously he's a good clubhouse guy and still seems to have some defensive skills and he's slowed down a bit. He's not nearly the hitter he was, but Of course, he's still one of the most entertaining players in baseball, and I would miss him more than just about anyone. I wonder, yeah, I wonder if he gets a job anywhere next year. Like even like I don't even know if he gets the the Ken, you know, the Ken Griffey Jr. victory lap in Seattle. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I wonder if he loves playing enough to go back to Japan for a final tour of duty there. Maybe it It just feels like if this is the end for him in Major League Baseball, it's going to feel like there wasn't enough fanfare to it and yeah. that's the no farewell you know, tour yeah right? and, no retirement you know, gifts do we blame jeter for that too did chipper jones do it before <laughs> jeter was yeah, he the first chipper one jones to really do it. the 
yeah, I, I, there's some precedent in the past, but yeah, I, Chipper Jones stands out to me as, as kind of the, the notable example okay. of that wave, which then, you know, Jeter and mm-hmm. Rivera and Ortiz. Yeah. So yeah, we didn't get that with Ichiro yeah, we in need part because to... it, it wasn't clear that he would be ending. And also because, you know, he kind of had a, a reduced role. It was hard to know when he'd actually be playing. Yeah, we need to get him somewhere. I don't know. How about Kansas City or Detroit? Like, you know, some sure. other team that's that's not definitely not going anywhere just so we can get Ichiro another trip around the league and get him some swag. I don't want to see him go and, and not like that. Not not without some fanfare. So we have to go to it is our time and we will and end without a this. farewell tour. I know. But uh, but we're not actually saying farewell except for this yeah. week. We will yeah. be back next as week, usual next week in our rocking chairs made of broken bats. <laughs> yes. Right. Our surfboards for some reason our paintings of our great career moments. So we'll be back next Monday. We'll talk about whatever happens between now and then, maybe some big picture setting up the off-season stuff. Maybe we'll get a guest. And you, of course, you have been listening to The Ringer MLB Show, part of The Ringer Podcast Network. change. Weather changes, your mood definitely changes, so why lock yourself into plans that might change? With Hotel Tonight, you don't have to, because you'll get incredible deals on awesome hotels even at the last minute. Booking on Hotel Tonight gives you the freedom and flexibility to play things by ear while knowing you'll score a great price and a great place to stay. So download the Hotel Tonight app to find seriously amazing deals now. 